Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Little Left of Center, the podcast that interviews culture changers that are reshaping our world and breaking new ground. Have you ever had a public persona that you started to follow and get into their work and you quickly realized that they were actually the real deal where they were providing rock solid value every time you consumed any of their content? This is what happened to me when I discovered Heather Monahan. Heather Monahan is she's an incredible lady. Two years ago, after being fired as a CRO of a major media company, Heather has transformed herself into a force of nature. She's become a best-selling author, podcaster, professional speaker, confidence creator, and now a TED Talker who is changing the conversation on confidence, but also shedding light on female bullies in the workplace. I was so thrilled that she said yes to coming on my show. She gave so much practical and tactical guidance, and she's got a particular gift in offering sage advice that you can easily remember and apply immediately, where you are literally being changed as you start to apply these new principles. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. And before we get into our chat, a few things to keep you up to date on. One is I always love to share a podcast fun fact, and today's fun fact is on the equipment, on podcast equipment. So sometimes when you hear podcasts and audio, you may think that it can be a very expensive endeavor, that it sounds good, maybe they have really expensive mics, and the reality is that it is very inexpensive that you can actually have an entire podcast and do it completely for free, where the only equipment that is required is laptop, headphones with preferably a mic, and a recording software, which you can get for free. So um, I know for me, I use a Shure SM58 mic. I love it. It is such a great mic for the price. It runs about $100. Sometimes you can get them discounted as well, but they put out such a great quality sound. It's clear, there's no echo. And if you wanted to do a USB mic that plugs directly into your laptop, um, usually those run 50 or $60 and they are amazing. Tim Ferriss, who has one of the top podcasts, uses those two very mics in, uh, in all of his, and he sounds crystal clear. So uh, contrary to any kind of beliefs, running a podcast or buying the equipment for a podcast is actually very inexpensive and affordable. And the second thing is enrollment is still open for Press Play Podcast. It is the new podcasters program that begins January 6th. So if you are wanting to kick off the new decade with a bang and you've thought about podcasting, say yes to this program. You can get more info at bit.ly forward slash Press Play Podcast. Now, here is my chat with Heather. Well, hello. Hi, 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 hi. I know um, I'm good. So it's good. it's funny to see you because I feel like you are omnipresent, and uh, <laughs> you, I wish I was omnipresent. Oh my goodness, I have so many questions for you. So um, I think I have you, so many answers. Don't oh, worry. I bet. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I feel like I've been to Heather in Heather Monahan land anyway. So I make sure that I'm prepared for this talk. It's funny so. that you feel that way because I don't. It, it, whatever people see on the outside, like. I sit at home getting so frustrated. I can't reach enough people. It's so interesting that other people don't see it that way. It's funny. 
You know, that's one of the questions that I had for you is that, let me just do a little bit of an intro. So my podcast is a little left of center. So I interview culture changers. So people who are disrupting the status quo, they're breaking convention. Um, and you are the epitome of all of that. Um, and so we are here with Heather Monahan. Heather Monahan, I'll, I'll see if I can do this right. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But Heather Monahan is a best-selling author. She is a podcaster, a confidence creator, a TED talker, and a Boston Heels CEO. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is that um, I've been following your journey with the TED Talk that just released. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And having a TED Talk, that is my goal. That is my goal for 2020. And something We'll, ta like we'll just, talk you through it. We'll oh, talk I would you right through it. it. Yeah. I would love it. I actually just applied for one uh, last Sunday. Um, oh, great. But I, I, I've been closely following it. And one of the things I thought was interesting is that your perspective on the TED Talk was it has to go viral. Uh, it has to be productized. It doesn't matter how good of a speaker I am. It has to be something that's going to connect right away and be shareable. And one of the things I was curious about you is how do you your whole thing is confidence. And when everything is based on external validation, how do you kind of balance on that line? Everything isn't based on external validation for me. So yes, I have goals. My goal is 50 million views for my TED talk for sure. You know, if you work really hard on something and you have an idea we're sharing, then why wouldn't you set out lofty goals for yourself? You know, kind of my mantra is go big or go home. I didn't wake up today to be mediocre. So I put the work in, I create strategies and I implement them. And a lot of times they're successful, but sometimes they're not. And one example, I don't know, even know if you know this yet, because it just came out on my podcast this morning. I listened to it. Oh, you heard it then. So, you I know, did. my TED talk came out the night before Thanksgiving and I was crying in the airport because mm -hmm. One of the, you know, there's many things that are out of your control. You sign your talk over to Ted. They own it. You don't own it. And that's a gamble, obviously. So it's not up to me when it comes out to the ideal time for a TED talk to come out is not near a holiday on a Monday morning around 10 a.m. You know, and there's a lot of research that can show you the talks that go viral fell into these, you know, categories. And mine didn't. And there was nothing I could do about it. So it's just, listen, it's one of those things that you have to reboot, take a deep breath and say, okay, well, then I'm going to have to work harder now promoting it on social. I'm going to have to find more opportunities to get on different podcasts to expand my reach. I'm going to have to work with more partners to have them share my message on their social. I'm going to have to do more press. I'm just going to have to work harder to achieve those goals, but I'm not going to give up. So what is your mission with it? Because your, your, your thing is confidence. And this TED Talk was, let me see if I can get this right, um, the Me Too movement, mistake or misstep. But it was nothing to do necessarily with the Me Too movement, but how people get bullied in, um, in the workplace. And that very often that bully is a female that is so, trying to so take that's you down. Right. That's where it ties into the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement focused on male harassers at work. Mm -hmm. What I'm asking Me Too to do is to expand their movement to also focus on the female harassers at work, not just on the men. But what I thought was interesting is at the very end of the TED Talk, I mean, I started getting chills. I felt it where it wasn't even about the Me Too movement. It was about saying yes to you 
and saying yes to your own power. And from a confidence uh, perspective, this is something that you live and breathe every day. Why, why do women struggle so much with confidence? What do you think it is? Do you think it's society? Do you think it's systemic? Do you think it's us taking our power back? What do you think it is? So I don't think it's just women. And I know that firsthand because I hear from just as many men. My audience is actually 60% female, 40% male. Really? And I hear from just as many men. I have a drift bot on my website so people can ask me questions. And I get probably more questions from men. Hey, I just got fired. Hey, I'm letting my family down. I don't feel like I'm strong enough. So again, I don't think confidence is an issue just with women. It may be something that's spoken about more, or I guess we realize it more. I definitely know in corporate America that women second guess themselves more and that culture lends itself to that. I also think the culture with media where, you know, they're showcasing these very thin, very beautiful women. Yet if you look at the men in media, it's not, you know, necessarily that same way. So there are external pressures and external influences that do set women up to maybe second guess themselves more. But at the end of the day, you know, lacking confidence can come from anything and it can be different in different situations. You might not be confident at work, but maybe you're really confident in your personal life. Maybe you're not confident when you go to the gym, but you're really confident when you're in your mom group. You know, it, it can be different in different environments. And it's about starting to step into who you really are, being the authentic you, speaking your voice no matter what it is in any of those environments and starting to spend time stepping into your power. Because when you realize what your purpose, your passion, and your real missions are, you begin to become stronger. And of course, firing your villains is a critical piece as well. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the villain is yourself, you know? It so, can be, sure. <laughs> but here's what I thought I think was interesting. And one of the reasons why I was um, really thankful to have you on the podcast is that when I found you, I found you probably a few months ago, and I related in a lot of ways. Like you, um, you use these very bold and creative ways to make yourself known, to get yourself um, in front of somebody, to differentiate yourself. And that is kind of what I'm known for. I'm in sales as well. You and I are both the very same age too. Um, and what I think is interesting is um, from, from that perspective, and then I started listening to your podcast and it's creative, wait, creating confidence. I confuse your book and your podcast help me. <laughs> sure. My book is Confidence Creator and my yes. podcast is Creating Confidence with Heather Monaghan. Yes. Yeah, so creating confidence. So uh, it's one of those things where I voraciously listen to podcasts, but what I found on yours is that every single episode, I have literally been changed and, and have had practical takeaways. It isn't just something you enjoy and kind of passively listen to. And so I'm wondering, you asked really good questions. I was really impressed with the Jesse Itzler um, interview that you did. And the Rory, I'm, I'm like midway through the Rory, Rory Vaden one that you have, but there were some things that literally shifted my perspective good. and have changed. Yeah. So, you know, but I'm wondering how have you crafted that? Is it something like, what do you know what do you know that you wish other people know on how to communicate? Because some of it is just having those bite-sized things that you can take away and make it portable for somebody to actually understand it, process it, and apply it in their life because you're a master at it. Oh, thank you. I, I will tell you, number one, I had 45 years of being in sales, right? My whole life I've been in sales. So being in sales is being an active listener. 
and engaging and relating to people. So that's really what hosting a podcast is about. So I had a tremendous amount of expertise and experience leading up to this. I'm not a rookie at communicating. And one of the things that I do different than I think some other people might do, not you though, because obviously you've consumed a lot of my content. I do a tremendous amount of research on people before I have them on. So before I interview Jesse Itzler, I'm reading the book. I'm watching every podcast on YouTube he's ever been on. I mean, hours upon hours of work to understand who someone is. And then I, I jot down notes and then I rip them up when I walk in and I just engage with the person in that conversation. Now, that's very different. Some people that host podcasts stick to, you know, they put together a list of questions and they really want to stick to it. I just don't believe in operating that way for me. It might be different for others, but I want to live in that moment because what I find is sometimes you'll hear on a podcast, someone will say, oh, so-and-so, how did that happen? And the guest will tell us amazing story where you could dive into so many things and the the host will say, okay, on to number two. And <laughs> so they're not really living in it. And then the listener is like, wait a minute, but why didn't we get to hear more about that? So I really want to be present, fully present and not pay attention to my phone, not pay attention to a list of questions, but pay attention to the guest and, and respond to them. I have the same exact thing that I never use notes during my interviews. So how funny. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So we should probably back up a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your story? Because it is very powerful. Sure. So I grew up poor. My mom was a single mom with four kids living behind my grandparents' house in a trailer. And, you know, my childhood was not a great one at all. But I used to believe that there were people out there that were wealthy and beautiful and successful. And then there was me in my lane. And I was just kind of limited to this life over here. I didn't realize there was this massive potential. So what I learned at an early age was I needed to work if I didn't want to be poor, like my mom. So I, from the get-go, I was nine years old. I, you know, had a paper route. I worked in fast food restaurants. I was the busboy at a diner. Then I went to become a waitress, then a bartender. And I worked really hard as a kid and I learned work ethic is everything. And that propelled me in sales. I worked for the Gala Winery. Then I became an equity partner in radio. Then I went to a publicly traded company. So I constantly advanced myself through sheer work ethic and commitment and drive. And that drive is still with me today. I'm definitely one of the most driven people I know. And I'm so grateful for that. And that wouldn't have come if I hadn't had a bad childhood. So, you know, it all kind of points you. Thank you, you mom see. and dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, you, you know, you look back and and you say, I see now how I am the person I am today. And a lot of people ask me, well, how do you find the motivation to keep yeah. pushing every day? I just don't think any differently. There's, you know, there's never a time that I think, oh, I'll take a break. I'm a single mom now and, and that responsibility and onus is on my shoulders. So, you know, for me, it's just about continuing to move forward, continuing to get to that next level. And I ended up getting to the highest level you can in corporate America. I was in the C-suite responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars and thousands of employees. And when the CEO I worked for became ill, he elevated his daughter to replace him. And she fired me right away. And that was two years ago. And that was a really low moment for me, which is what led me to write my book, Confidence Creator, which then led me to sign with Podcast One and launch my show, which led me to launch my speaking career and led me to my most recent TED Talk. 
It was like the best thing ever. And I'm so curious because you you talk a lot about your villain being that woman who fired you and was just out for blood anyway. She just was not having whatever you were serving up. Do you, have you gotten any feedback from her? No, I mean, when she fired me, it wasn't, she was all no, no, no. smiles. I mean, like like at, she was very, you know, she did not like me. She wanted me out of yeah. there. It wasn't like, oh, Heather, best of luck to you. And then I refused to sign yeah, the yeah, gag yeah. order. So she- she did not like me. She made it clear. And there's, I don't get Christmas cards from her. No, 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 no. I'm just wondering if she knows that the TED talk is out and she's like, oh shit, I'm an asshole. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't speak to her, but yeah. my old employees call me all the time and message me all the time. So oh, I, I'm sure, you know, they watch it and they're, they're always saying, you know, we're cheering you on. We miss you. And um, yeah, so I, I, I don't really, I could care less if she sees it or not. It doesn't matter to me. I was just curious. So, so Heather Monahan is the brand. How do you scale? How do you measure success? Well, success to me is not just financial. It used to be when I was in corporate America, I really gauged my success with the dollar amount of my paycheck and my title. And what I've learned is that was a false sense of security. So today I really want to see success as my health, my son's health, my son doing well, my relationship with my son, my relationship with my friends and, and those close to me, you know, just an overall sense of doing purpose-driven work brings me a lot of happiness and success. So yes, financial is a piece of that. And of course I have lofty goals out there, but it's kind of enjoying, you know, where you are and trying to re like have that realization for me that I took a risk on me and every day I take a risk on me and every day I put myself out there and step into fear and it doesn't get less scary, but it certainly is so exciting. Do you enjoy the process of it? Because um, I, I was trying to think, so you you and I have, have communicated and you're really active. So it's you responding on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, and you're pretty fast at it too. When do you rest? <laughs> how do you how do you factor in the time? Yeah, well, I've always been like this, right? It's just I used to do it for a company. That's what's kind of funny is that I was always doing that on their behalf. So people would see it as a company responding all the time, you know, getting involved in things. Now I do it for me, my company, which is amazing. And, and I really encourage others to invest in you, invest in your brand, whether you work for someone else or not is irrelevant, but you want to, you know, make sure others see it as you instead of I just was always the company. And I'm really proud now that I, I work just as hard as I always did. It's just people see it now. People used to see it as the organization I work for, and now they see it as me. It's, it's kind of crazy. So I wanted to talk for a minute about your son. So you're, you have amazing stories about your son mm -hmm. who, who just seems to be picking up a lot of, um, obviously, kids learn by example. And I'm wondering about how intentional you are, maybe some um, tips that you can offer on raising competent children, because I think that the you know mental health situation in the US today is abominable. And people are just, they don't know how to cope. And so a lot of that starts with our children. And a lot of that even further starts with us as parents. So how do you consciously and intentionally raise your a competent boy? Well, it starts with you, right? The parent. Yeah. And, you know, it's really about, okay, how am I behaving? If I'm standing around saying, oh, I don't want to be in that picture. I'm afraid. I'm fat. I don't look good. I doubt myself. I could sit and lecture him all day to go out and try for, out for the new team and put yourself out there. But if I'm not living it, there's 
a very small chance he's going to be able to step into confidence and really emulate it, right? Because I'm not setting an example. So we really have to look at ourselves first and say, am I practicing what I preach? And that's a tough conversation to have in the mirror, but I encourage everyone to do it. You know, I ask myself, you know, what do I think confidence is? What do I think it looks like? And then I have conversations with him about it. And he opens my eyes to, you know, situations that I didn't realize. I didn't want him to play football and he convinced me to do it. And it ended up being the biggest confidence building moment for him. When I reflect on it, I was coming from a place of fear. I didn't want my child to get hurt. Fear is never good. It's never, you know, fear is a green light, which means go. I should have known back then, okay, he's got to go out for the team but I was afraid selfishly. And what I learned by the whole experience was he stepped into something he didn't know. He was nervous. And the, the act of actually showing up on that field, even though he was a little afraid, built a stronger little individual. And, and I'm so proud at, at having watched those few months and the increase in confidence that he's experienced as a result. And, and he's the one that had to sell me on it because I was afraid too. It's so funny because I, I am like complete extrovert. I live all the way out loud. I have no issues in, in outward confidence. And my son is like, he's, uh, he'll be seven and he is painfully shy around new people. And I'm like, oh my God, how do I, how do I fix this? You know? And, uh, I have to just kind of figure it out. You know, like not everybody well, yeah, is but built like that. I don't think shy means you're lacking confidence. Sure. Shy can be a personality trait, right? Like you don't have to be an extrovert. There are plenty of introverts that are incredibly confident. They don't have the need to scream from the rooftops that they are. And sometimes I think that's even a more powerful version of confidence when you feel it so much and so deeply that you don't, you don't feel that need. I used to not feel that way. I wanted everyone to know I'm confident over here. Look at me. And, you know, I just, I think that shy is more of a personality trait and that if the more that we can encourage shy people to know that they're safe, to know that we'd like to hear their opinions or perspective and to how do they feel comfortable communicating them, you know, allowing them to take those steps and build those, that momentum can get them to potentially open up more. But at the end of the day, I also think that, you know, if they're not a big talker, they might never be a big talker, you know? That's a perfect way to put it that, you know, encourage them to know that they're safe. I think that's a really powerful place to come from. And I'm, I'm curious to go back again. So what happens when you reach 50 million views on your TED Talk? What does that mean for you? I achieved another goal. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I always set benchmarks and goals on anything that I do. I have a tremendous background in business of, you know, running my monthly goals, my quarterly goals, my annual goals. And so I don't operate as an entrepreneur any differently. I run my company as if it was a publicly traded company. And so for me, every objective I have, every initiative I have has a strategy and game plan that you know, allowed it to launch as well as I have benchmarks I want to achieve along the way. And I have big picture goals. So for me, achieving that 50 million views on the TED Talk, I would feel so proud because I reached yet again another goal and I would celebrate that and share it. If I ever didn't get there, I'm still so proud I did it. The biggest move for me was walking out on that red dot that day. That was the scariest thing ever this year, for this year anyways. That was my biggest step into fear moment. And I was just so proud of myself that I did it. Uh, but of course, I, I still want to achieve my goals around it as well. So I'm wondering, as somebody who talks a lot about confidence, when you walked out onto that red dot on the TED stage, were you nervous? Mm. Or did it calm? Terribly did it get nervous. calm? 
as no, you started talking. It was a horrible day. Oh. I um, I had prepared. I never prepare for speeches. I've been speaking so long. I feel so incredibly confident on stages. I don't even think about it. I, I gauge the feedback from the audience to shift it. I don't do scripted talks. So when I found out they wanted me to be scripted, that made me feel uncomfortable. Then I found out there's all these restrictions. You can't leave the circle. You have to, the colors that you wear have to work with the background and none of this is up to you. So you're being told all of you know, these restrictions and you're, you have to leave with an idea yet still captivate the audience, yet don't make it about yourself too much. There, there's so much advice and direction when you do a TED Talk. And, and for me, I didn't like that. I'm used to just being told, mm -hmm. you have a conference call with a client, hey, we have an annual meeting, we want you to really fire up the troops, teach them some tips and tactics you know, for business next year. Okay, great, that's a lot of fun and I enjoy that. But then to find out I have a finite window of time. I was given 10 minutes, which I hated, because I usually speak for 40 minutes an hour and to boil things down to a really finite window like that and still try to achieve that emotional connection with the audience, you know, impart a message and an idea and sell people on it. It's a very small, tight window. So I didn't like the format of it to begin with. I said, okay, I can just work and practice more. And I practice for a month, multiple times a day. And I had never done that before which made me feel out of sorts because I was doing something instead of trusting myself, which is what I typically do when I take a stage, I was forcing myself into a circle. So it's kind of a weird mental shift and I did not enjoy that. So, but I still said I can complete the task. I'm going to do the work. I did the work. I practiced enough. But that morning they told us they, to be there at 8 a.m. to do a dry run through. I went with wet hair, eye patches on and sweatpants. That is not when I feel my strongest. I have a routine that I run through when I'm speaking. I, you know, I want to look my best. I want to put my best foot forward. I wear my red power color a lot if I'm nervous. I have a playlist I listen to right before I'm going to go in to give a speech. I might glance at my notes. I sniff my lavender, and then I go out on stage right as I pull my earbuds out, right from Drake, right to the stage. So... That's my routine. And I, when I do that, I get into the zone. I know I'm about to go kill it. And I do. So on this day at 8 a.m., I'm there in my sweatpants, wet hair, eye patches. Everyone's looking at me like, what is she doing? And I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm not going on until 1 o'clock, so I don't know. I'm going through a dry run-through. That's what I think. Well, they yell, and, and we're in the arena you know, with everything set up. There's hundreds of volunteers there. It's a big event. And there's 20 speakers and they say, Heather, take the stage. And I'm like, why am I taking the stage? So I get up on the stage and I'm waving in my sweatpants to the guy way in the back and the spotlight. And they said, yeah, give your talk right now. We'll tell you when to stop. We need to do a mic check because I was the first speaker and I wasn't prepared for that. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, whatever. It's just us and, you know, a couple hundred people in here, whatever. So I just start talking. I'm not thinking anything of it. And suddenly three or four minutes in, I just forget what I'm saying. And I went blank. Oh. And, and that's never happened oh to me my in my God. life because remember, I'm not scripted. So to me, you'd, I'd never be out of words because I just keep talking. Yet this is very different. And so I just stopped and I yelled to Eric, who's in charge, Eric, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Right now. And I'm kind of at a loss. He thought I was being funny. I wasn't. And he started laughing. He said, all right, Heather, get off the stage. It's fine. I get off the stage and a woman standing there says, oh, you're just like my friend. He was in the NFL and his biggest moment ever, he missed the kick. Oh. And I looked at her and I said, that's not very helpful. 
And I said, Eric, I'm leaving. And I ended up leaving and I went to be with my hairdresser and my makeup artist. And I was in tears and I said, guys, I need to get centered. I need to get into my regular routine. I need my Drake and my Kendrick Lamar playing. I need to hear my music. I need to smell my lavender. I need to look my best. I need to put my clothes on, look at the bottom of my, like I need to go through my routine that I do. And I escaped the negativity. I was with people that love me and support me and encourage me to tell them, you're going to be great. You're great every time. Don't worry. So I had to like go through this one hour window and then it was time to go back. And I, when I got back there, I was dealing with all these speakers who never speak. Everyone was nervous. So I went from, I was in a good place in Zen and I walked into this complete chaos, wow. people doing push-ups on the ground, oh. freaking out. And I, and I'm going first and I'm like, Oh my, and everyone starts saying the, the mic's not working. It was a disaster. And I just said, okay, keep reading your speech. And I just kept reading my speech. And I was focused on that one line I stopped at in the morning. I kept reading that one line because I thought, don't, if I can just keep moving, I'll be okay. And so it was just about time for me to go out. They were having problems with the clicker now. Everyone was yelling at each other. And a girl handed me a lavender uh, scent. And I, that's, my, that's one of my routine elements. And as soon as I had that, I said, okay, get focused, get focused. And then I closed my eyes, they called my name, and I just said, if you don't walk out there, you will never forgive yourself. If you walk out there and blow it, I am going to be cheering you on. I'm going to be so proud of you. And I just mm. took the pressure off myself, and I said, it doesn't matter if I blow it. It doesn't matter if I forget the words. It's the fact that I had the balls to go out there and take that circle with this complete chaos going That's on. That's freaking powerful. Good and Lord. I, and I just went out there. <laughs> so I have to ask, what was written on your shoes? So you have this, this thing that you write um, a, a, affirmations or positive things on your shoes. I write notes to myself. So yes. I, that day I had written, I can, I will 50 million views is what I wrote on my shoes that day. Oh my God, I love it. And I was looking and I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, are those Christian Louboutins? Like, can yeah. you, would you actually write on the red bottoms oh, with yeah. a Sharpie? <gasps> I do, yeah. Oh, oh no, I write on everything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, um, I don't, I, I can't even tell you. It's just part of my process. It's part of what I do. But that was an awesome reminder for me when I was getting changed. I was in panic mode and I saw the shoes and I thought, all right, calm down. Look, 50 wow. million views. You can, you will. So all these little things are all just steps that connect me to get me to the right place. What did it feel like to come down after that? Like after you walk off the stage, what did that feel like? Weird because I didn't get a standing ovation and I'm accustomed to- Is that a normal thing? Like in I a typically TED talk, get people, I don't know. Cause this is yeah. my first Ted talk, right? And you were so the I, first speaker. I'm right. the first speaker. I have no idea, but usually when I speak for work, I get a standing ovation. So I, I waited for a minute at the end and no one was standing up. So I just smiled and turned around. And in my mind, I thought maybe I didn't do as good as I hoped. I don't know. So when I came backstage, I was confused. And I, the first thing I said, was, did I forget anything? You know, did, did something go wrong out there? And everyone was like, you did amazing. And I, you're in a fishbowl when you're out there because yeah. you might, I thought it was going well, but I, I don't know. And then I, I just was second guessing everything. And I said, you know what? I don't care. It's done. And I'm just happy it's done. And I'm so grateful it's over. And then the funny thing is, as you know, I put a joke in my talk about, well, my next TED talk so everyone was coming up to me, when's your next TED talk? And I'm thinking, oh my, 
I need to stop being funny because I don't want to do another TED Talk. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> I wonder if like after you after you've accomplished the task of doing something that is completely out of your comfort zone to have something that is is kind of confining in on the red dot and to have it shaped this way and have the title be this way and to have it presented in this this specific way and not be able to wear your power color to so it would get along. Do you do you feel like, you know what? I got this. Do you feel like at, at any point was it exciting to accomplish that and say, okay, I can do that and I can keep going? Of course. And that's why, you know, fear is like a ladder. Every time that you push yourself further, then you realize I can actually go further. So this one was, this was my biggest fear moment this year, hands down. Last year it was my book, you know, launching my book was so scary, but this year it was the TED talk was really scary. And when I accomplished it and got off that stage and said, in my mind, I think I did a really good job. You know, I don't know. We'll see when the video comes out. But now that I see the video, yes, I did do a good job. And it's funny because now I know I can go bigger now. Now that I accomplished that red dot, I can, I can do something scarier. That's so amazing. What advice could you give me as a, a prospective TED talker? Yeah. Let me give you a TED couple. Talker. Okay. So yes. first of all, it's landing the talk is the most important thing because you can't get anywhere otherwise. So I took out a Google alert on TED talk, TEDx speakers wanted. So every day I would get a ping, you know, and I'd apply to every single one. I applied to 100 and wow. it can take a while to, to get a TED talk. Not everyone has, some people are asked to give one. I was not. So, you know, I would say start applying and do it frequently. And the other thing is I was doing it wrong. I was talking, every time I would apply, I would say, I'm a great speaker and I've spoken at MGM and I've spoken for the NBA. I was talking about why I'm such a great speaker. That's the wrong approach. What they're all about is the idea. And you need to tie into their theme. So you want to Google and research the event, find out what the theme is. The event that I ended up landing was rethinking relationships. So I led with the idea of rethinking the relationship of the Me Too movement and women in the workplace. So that, you know, that's about them. It wasn't about me, which is a good approach. And then you want to find out who's leading the organization. TEDx is all volunteers. So you want to reach out and thank these people. Thank you for reviewing my information. Thank you for volunteering and being here because this event wouldn't occur without them. Make it all about them. That's how I landed the talk. And then leading up, you know, the name of your talk is incredibly important. And I'm then- I'm curious to what you threw away too. Like what names were just, that you had earlier on that were not the right ones? You know, I don't remember anymore, but I know that you need to have something eye-catching so that people yeah. want to click on it, you know? So I think that's how we landed on the Me Too movement headline was to, you know, really get people's attention. But- you know, one other thing that don't undervalue is practice and practicing. I actually wrote the key phrases around my condo and stuck them on the walls. I brought them with me on a trip that I went on a week before. I was constantly visualizing those words so that when I would be, when I get to the point in the talk, when I was going to say, I choose me, I would stop because I could see it in my mind. And I would say, this is a power moment because you want to be pausing right before your power moments and really, you know, amplifying them versus if you're just telling, there's parts of my talk, I'm just telling a story. I don't need to pause when yeah. I'm telling the story of the dog, you know, chasing a dog down. That was just a story. But when I'm saying, when you are a threat, you will always be a target. 
that's a power moment and you want to identify those moments those are the moments you want the audience to focus on and take away from your talk so that it resonates and it's clear with them and that was something that really helped me and i'd never done that before and you worked with a speech coach right as well for well, this tedx no. gives you a speech coach i did not use that person my son last year gave a speech at school and there was a lot of problems and they ended up having him get a new speech the day before. He wouldn't listen to me or his father, who's also a good speaker, and he just didn't want to listen to us. And so we hired a woman, a local mom. She's amazing. So good. And she works with kids on speeches. So she helped my son in a one hour session, kind of just like lean into his humor and feel comfortable. And he gave a great speech. So I reached out to her two weeks before my speech and I said, is there any chance I could come in? Now she works with kids, but I didn't care. I loved her. And I just said, can I, I come so cool in? cool that there's this, somebody that helps and has a career on helping kids do speeches. That's amazing. Well, because parents are crazy and they'll spend any amount of money for <laughs> exactly. their children, right? Yeah, she's very <laughs> I smart. I would do that. <laughs> so I did it. So I reached out to her and I said, is there any chance you could work with me for one hour? I really just need you to watch me and give me your opinion. Because I hadn't done it for anybody other than my son and my girlfriend at that point. It was two weeks before. And she said, yeah, of course. So I went in for an hour with her. I gave my speech. And I'll tell you, she opened my mind to something. She felt that I was seeing it as the Me Too movement did this wrong. And that was her opinion. That was not my intent. So she opened my mind to some other people might respond that way. And I never meant, I love the Me Too movement. I'm all about it. I was about broadening it. Mm -hmm. And she helped me to realize, don't make it that the Me Too movement's done this wrong. Make it that we're going to the next level or, or we're expanding it or whatever. So she helped me reframe that, which was, oh my gosh, that would have been a disaster if I had given a talk and people took it as I was attacking the Me Too movement. So sometimes it's great to have someone else put eyes on what you're doing. They might see something that you're not seeing and it definitely helped me. I'm wondering if you, it sounds like you employ a lot of uh, help with coaches and you've done brand builders and all kinds of stuff, you know, do you feel, um, do you feel like it's you alone? Cause it is your name. It's just your name. You know, do you employ people? Are you, are you kind of handling everything? Like how, where I'm, I don't know what I'm asking, <laughs> but I'm trying to figure out, um, how do you do it as a brand when you're one person? Well, I mean, of course, there. David Melter, he calls it champions. You have champions out there that want to help you. And I mean, listen, I have so many people that offer to help me all the time. Rory Baden, who you heard on my show today, you know, he's someone that he just jumped up and started helping me. And, you know, of course, that's smart business because then I wanted to start working with him sure. once he came. He came to help me to say, you could be further along than you are. He didn't charge me, you know, nothing. He laid out a plan for me on the speaker um, game and how it works and what I needed to do. And I, I was so grateful to him and his wife. So of course I'm a champion for them now because they helped me, but I also believe you can always learn, you know, and, and I always, I'm a rookie in the entrepreneur space. I'm a rookie as an author. I'm a rookie as a TEDx speaker. You know, all this stuff is new to me. So there's so many people that have been in this wor world for two, three decades that I can learn from and that I lean on and I ask for help. So I think what's important is just surrounding yourself with good people, people that want to be your champion and, and paying that back when, whenever you can. You know, some people will say, Heather, um, you know, can you help me with this? I started 
an entire segment on my podcast just answering the questions that people send me because I can't scale that solution. I can't respond to everybody and answer everyone's questions every day, but I do let them know if you have a question you want answered, send it to me, DM, email it to me. I promise you I will get to it on my podcast because that is a solution that I can offer to bring value and to help other people and keep paying it forward. What are the questions that they, what, what questions do you typically get? A lot of questions about getting fired, a lot of questions about confidence in dating, confidence in you know, different situations. People don't realize it's always the same stuff. It doesn't matter if you're lacking confidence at the gym, speaking, you know, it's always it's the same thing. You just have to address it in that scenario. Uh, so I get a lot of questions about confidence, a lot about getting fired, a lot about speaking, launching a podcast, stepping into fear. Now I'm getting a lot about the TED talk. Now everyone's like, how do I give a TED talk? Yeah. So I just explain, you know, the, the steps that I go through and, and how they can do the same thing. It's not, it's definitely not a mystery. That's for sure. And do you, uh, how do you, how do you, what do you say no to? Cause it sounds like you, you have your arms wide open to help people and that you're available at least from whatever engagement that I've been able to see in the past few months. How do you, where do you say no there? And, and also I want to kind of add this in too, is that there are a lot of, there are a lot of online coaches that are out there, especially on LinkedIn. I know you're very big on LinkedIn and there's a lot of, who knows if they're good or not? You know what I mean? So what, what would be your guidance there? Yeah. No, I say no all the time today. I, someone asked me to marry them on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. You know, and people ask me to meet them all the time. Were they at least hot? <laughs> no, not at all. And, and so here's the thing is that people send me crazy messages. I just don't respond to that stuff. You know, listen, if someone, I, I have a drift bot on my website that engages in conversation with people and it's there so that I can connect with people and understand, you know, what they're looking for. That gives me ideas for my podcast. That gives yeah. me ideas for my next book. So I like that engagement, but it's pretty obvious when people don't have, you know, meet me for drinks. No, I have zero interest in any of that stuff, but there are people that I can tell. Heather, I just got fired last week. I'm freaking out. I don't, what steps can I take right now? I respond to those people, you know, cause I've been there and I know it's legit. That's someone who needs help. And I wanted someone to help me back then. So I try to be available for those people. It doesn't mean I'm always going to be able to scale that. But sure. if I'm on a flight for six hours going to LA, I answer everything because I'm available right then. You know what I mean? So it really depends on if I'm at a speaking engagement and I'm busy, I might not get back to people for a couple of days. It just depends on my schedule and what's going on. But I do try to respond to people for sure. As far as online coaching, I don't like personally, I don't like that business. I don't really understand all that. I know that it is a big business. I don't coach people because that that's not a scalable solution for me. Because I get paid so much money to speak, I would have to charge people a ridiculous amount mm -hmm. of money to make it be efficient for my time and be smart with my time. And, and I'm not, you know, listen, if people are extremely wealthy and they want to hire me, then yeah, I would have that conversation. But otherwise, I don't think that makes sense. So do your homework, right? Reviews and testimonials are everything. And that's how I market myself on LinkedIn. I'm constantly posting. Now I'm posting what people are saying about my TED Talk on LinkedIn so that other people know, oh, I should go watch it, right? Yeah. That is the best promoter of you is people who have used your services, gotten value, and they want to share it. And so that's how I promote me and my speaking business. I'm, hey, just got this review from an annual meeting I did yesterday. Check it out. Check out what annual care had to say. And then people can say, this girl's the real deal. Hey, go back to my website if you want to see more reviews. I have hundreds on my website. 
So to me, if I was looking for a coach and I didn't know where to go, I would look for reviews. I would look for feedback, recommendations. You need to see that credibility and, <laughs> and you know, valid, validity because if it's not there and it's just someone saying, oh, I'm an expert in sales, well, how do I know you can teach someone how to do that? I don't know that I would be buying into it. I'm so glad um, that you talked about that. And there's there's one thing. I mean, you're obviously a freaking knockout. I mean, you're a damn smoke show. And oh, I was wondering, you. you're welcome. I was wondering how you handle, because there's probably a you know, percentage of people that reach out to you that are probably less than appropriate and, and probably hashtag, hashtag, hashtag me too, you know? And I was wondering how you handle that, you know? Cause I, I, ign I ignore those people because why, yeah. you know, early on, I launched my personal brand three years ago. I used to respond back and like argue with them. Mm. That's inappropriate. They, that's all they want. They want to talk to you. Yeah. So why even have the conversation? And I just decided I don't delete the comments. They can stay there. It doesn't affect me. I just move on and I focus on me and what I'm doing next. And one thing I've noticed too, that, that, um, that I think is really good is people tell you all the time on the podcast, oh my God, Heather, you are gorgeous. And you immediately squash it and move somewhere else. You know, like you'll, yeah. you'll say it, it takes a lot of work or it's really expensive, <laughs> you know, uh, to just look good on camera or whatever. It's um, true. The, the older you get, the more work it is. And that's why I don't, you know, when someone will say, oh, well, you know, you're beautiful or this or that. Listen, <sighs> Going to the gym every day, finding time to go to the gym every day, eating healthy, being disciplined, getting my hair colored, going to the dermatologist, shopping for clothes because it's important if you want your whole you know, program to look like this stuff is a lot of flipping work. And I don't like people to focus on that because at the end of the day, listen, anyone, we live in a lab society where anyone can make themselves look like Kylie Jenner. If you want, yeah. you can be made in a lab. If you want to spend the money and take the time, you can look any way that you want. You can, you know, have fat removed, fat placed in whatever you want. So it's available. So I don't put that much value on the fact that I put, you know, time into it. I, that, that's my choice. It, it might be for this person. It might not be for that one. However, one thing that I am really proud of that I put time and effort into is my expertise in success and sales and yes. leadership and, and, you know, and stepping into my vulnerability and owning my voice and taking risks on myself, like my TED talk. I love talking about those things and sharing those things with others. But the whole looks thing I think is, Sadly, it's part of our society, but yeah. um, it's just another job, really. I thought uh, something that I heard today with the Rory Vaden um, interview is he said, you know, you take your uniqueness and you flaunt it. And yes. um, I thought that was really so powerful. Good. I thought that was yeah. so cool. So what is next for you? Yeah, so I wrote my second book and the, my first book, Confidence Creator, came out last year. I self-published that and that was very hard, labor-intensive. And by that, I mean, you're not in Barnes and Noble. You're not in brick and mortar. I did, I was a rookie. I had to actually print books and- Yeah, was it get, very expensive? Is it, it's really expensive to self-publish, isn't it? Well, and okay, there's a spectrum there. If you want your book to look like a book that's gonna be in Barnes and Noble, it's gonna cost you. I mm -hmm. did. So I went all in on it. Now, some people, maybe they just want an ebook. That's not gonna be very expensive. You can do that direct with Amazon. So writing and self-publishing a book is not hard. It depends where you want to go and what I wanted a hardcover. I wanted a paperback. I wanted an audiobook. I want, you know, I wanted the whole Mac daddy. So going all in like that is going to be time intensive, cost intensive, you know, 
And it was just so much work. And, and you still don't get in brick and mortar unless you knock on every Barnes and Noble and tell them, pitch them as to why it's going to bring them revenue, bring them opportunity, et cetera. So it was a lot of work. I'd like to experience the publishing with a traditional publisher side to see which I prefer. So I just started working with an agent. Now, when you work with an agent, they want a book proposal. I'd never written a book proposal. I have the whole book done. That's not good enough. They don't want that. They want the book proposal. So I had to write a book proposal. So I, I had to hire someone to help me do that. There are people that just write book proposals. I sent them my book and I said, I need your help to write a book proposal. And we've been back and forth, sent it to the agent. And she said, no, we need changes on this. And that was before the TED talk. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to focus on the TED talk right now. I'm not going to focus on this because I don't want to put energy off of this. And this is like what Rory Baden says, what you focus on is what you're really going to be great at. And I decided go all in on the TED talk, put this on the back burner. And now that the TED talk's done, I'll start picking back up on that again. And then this morning, I actually just had a call with a producer about working on a show. So there's a couple of different things oh, going on. Exciting. Still, my speaking business is definitely my passion. I love to do it. And that's my money driver. So I'm, you know, that's constantly a focus for me. And my podcast, constantly a focus. I love working with Podcast One. I love my guests. And I'm constantly looking for the next great guest. So there's always a lot of things going on for sure. Yeah. What do you do for fun? How do you relax? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I, I go to the should gym. I, should I give you the definition of fun? <laughs> no, I, 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 well, first of all, I like what I do for a living. That's yeah. fun, right? Because I'm actually doing something I love. So I have a lot of fun. I'm sort of a fun person. So I have fun all the time wherever I go. And for example, I was just in LA last week. And I left LA to go to San Diego because one of my best friends lives there and I stayed with her and her husband and we went out for dinner. So I try to, anytime I can capitalize on a business opportunity and make it something that is also special and meaningful. I do, I was just in New York a couple of weeks ago and I made sure to go out with you know, my friends out there for dinner. And, you know, so I try to, whenever I can, I might be on a work trip, but I try to make something special and fun about it too. That sounds great. So how can people get in touch with you? Sure. I'm at Heather Monahan on all social platforms. My website is heathermonahan.com and my book is Confidence Creator and my podcast is Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan. And please check out um, my new TEDx talk, Me Too Movement, Misstep or Mistake. It's on YouTube. It's on TEDx. It's on every one of my handles and on my website as well. And it'll be in the show notes for this episode. So um, I'm curious, do you have a title for the new book? Can you share it? No, I don't want to share it. And I'll tell you why. Because one thing I learned about books is the only way you can't take a name is if somebody else already has it out there. So if I was to share my book name now and somebody was going to market right away and took it, then I'd lose the name. So I would just rather, I'll keep that to myself that for now. Crazy. But it's really good. It's a really good name. I can't wait for it. I just finished the first one today. Oh, so, good. <laughs> I was trying to make sure I was, I was well prepared. So Heather, I can't thank you enough. Happy holidays to you. Thank you for taking a few minutes with me and with my little left of center audience where uh, I, I feel like there are always so many great takeaways and uh, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Thanks, Heather. Bye-bye. Wow. Thank you, Heather Monahan. I learned so much. 
Also, this interview is up on YouTube as well if you'd rather see the visuals. But y'all, go subscribe to her platforms. I've linked everything in the show notes. And as for Little Left of Center, these podcasts are available not only on your favorite listening app, but also on Decatur FM and on Salesforce Radio. If you haven't subscribed yet to my podcast, you need to so you don't miss an episode of any of these perspective-shifting conversations. Please leave a five-star review, and most of all, share this episode with the people you know. Culture changing is really a movement, but only works when the ideas are shared. I've linked everything in the show notes, including the Press Play podcast program sign-up. I'd love to have you join us. We start January 6th and only have a few spots left. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next week. 